Girl Band, the podcast, the tale of the Bambetti's meteoric rise to the middle. Remember when Emma Goldman said, if there's no dancing at the revolution, I'm not coming? Well, tonight we have both. Thanks to Betty, we have the music, and thanks to all of you, we have the revolution. Hi, we're Betty. Hi, this is Allie. I've been in the band Betty for 32 years. <laughs> Hi, this is Amy. I've been in the band for 32 years also. I guess so. Hello, and this is Elizabeth. I've also been in the band for 32 years. Wow. 32 That's, years. So we decided that maybe we should somehow talk about some of the things that we've done for a really long time. And I think all of us have different reasons why we thought that was a good idea. Well, the reason I think it's a great idea is because last night we had this fantastic show at Stonewall for National Coming Out Day. And it made me realize that here we live in New York City. We've played in every venue. We've done pretty much every activist thing a person or a band could do. And yet we'd never played at Stonewall before. And I really got to thinking, why is that? And I reached back into the back of my memory where the cobwebs live to try and find out why. Yeah, I thought, hmm, well, this summer we were on tour in Europe and I got sick and I had to leave and I've never missed a show. Never, ever missed a show You're in very 32 professional. years. I'm very professional. I mean, I remember even one time throwing up in a bucket behind, behind the stage when we were doing our um, off-Broadway show. Anyway, I had to leave. I came back and I started thinking about my own mortality. I mean, I'm a hypochondriac, so I kind of think about it every minute of the day. But I thought, who's going to know all of our stories? How are we going to document everything? Does anybody care? Does anybody care? (laughs) Well, we care, so that's the most important thing, right? What was important to me is that we have been together this long. We're a band, and we've really seen it together through ups and downs and deaths and births and Reagan and and now this thing and we've we've been DIY since the beginning And I think I think it's important for women to tell their stories. It's more important now than ever uh, for little girls to have prototypes to look up to, to understand that your voice is important, your story is important, and that some people have been on a really long journey as feminists, as friends, as sisters and best friends for a long time. And you know what's interesting to me? What? That it's not so much about for the little little girls. For me, I'm thinking about the fact that it's um, my partner Tony's mom's birthday. She'd be 98 years old today. Wow. wow. And it's more about being connected to the olders than the youngers to me. Mm. So what's interesting about this band and continues to be interesting about this band is that somehow the three of us keep coming together and meeting in the middle even though we're coming from three completely different planets sometimes. It's interesting. We're living in the space age. I think sometimes it makes for a lot of strife. Then sometimes the music is magic. Well, yeah, but we fight. We really have fought, fight really intensely. Maybe because you and I are sisters. Maybe because we've been together so long. Maybe because creatively we don't agree a lot, but politically we've we've always pretty much been on the same page, and I think that's what's kept us together, really. We are fierce, Thank we you. are feminist, and we are in your face. <laughs> I remember in the very beginning when we 
we met, Amy and I were living in Virginia. We were still with our parents. <laughs> I think it was 1981. Something like that. 1981 or 82. You were living back at home. I had just come back home from living in New York because you were sick. I was, I was nuts. I wasn't sick. Well, you, yeah. yeah, you were kind <laughs> what of What do you nuts. mean? After... Um, high school I went to Israel to live on kibbutz to see if socialism worked because I was a socialist when I graduated from high school and I was either there or, or to go to a commune in Tennessee and because I was Jewish I thought yeah, I'll go to Israel so I went to Israel and I I ended up living on a kibbutz which is a farm and I stayed there for a long time and then I came home and nothing made sense anymore I was living in Virginia and it was all nuts and I wanted to just leave so I did leave again and when I went back to the kibbutz, I, had, uh, I think I had realized that I was gay. But I, I didn't have, there was no one out there to talk to about it, and I just sort of stopped eating. So I got really, really skinny, and finally the kibbutz is all, um, you need to go home now. <laughs> so I went home, and when I got home, I think my mom called Amy, who was in New York at the time, and said, you need to come home, because she's really not well. What was happening is that I was asking her, have you heard from Bitsy? Because that was your name at the time. Now it's Elizabeth, of course. Yeah, if anybody calls me Bitsy, I... You get really it's, mad. It's not good. But at the time, I kept asking, Mom, what, what's going on? I haven't gotten a letter. What's going on? So then she told me that you weren't doing very well and that you were actually coming home. So between all of the lines that I read, I kind of figured I needed to come home too to see what was happening with my very own eyes and to see if I could just somehow be part of a process for mm. you. Well, what happened was I just stopped eating because I didn't want to be sexual, I guess. I didn't want to have a body. Why did your mom just tell you that? Because I think she was confused too. I think she didn't really understand. It was very it was very strange. It's like 1980 and nobody really Well, had... we knew about anorexia, but we didn't really Karen know Carpenter. right through Karen Carpenter. That was the only kind of name to the face that we put on it. Carpenter was the victim of anorexia, a compulsion to diet which can lead to starvation. But I think the people that were over in, in the kibbutz weren't really giving us that much information because they didn't know themselves. They just know that Elizabeth was having some problems, so mm -hmm. they needed her to go home. Well, I'd been a completely different person from the person that had gone the first time. Like, the first time I was, like, really fun, and I was gregarious, you know, gregarious and, and, and then when I went back, I was a rake and morose. So that was kind of like a nervous breakdown. Yeah, it was my first one. She put a little notch in her belt for her first nervous breakdown. But Amy came, came home, home and, and nursed me back to health. What were you doing in New York? I knew that I wanted to be a star. 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 So I moved to New York because my friends opened up a tennis club kind of shop in the Hamptons. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we were going to move to, we were going to be in New York to like start auditioning for the Broadway and things like that. Instead of continuing with the plans to go to New York on my own or with my friend Kathleen to get an apartment, I came home to see what was happening. Did you think it was only be temporary? Yeah. Think you would only come home for like a month or so and then go back? I did, but I needed to see what was happening. And then when I got home and I saw Elizabeth with my very own eyes, who was very, very, very thin. Yeah, I weighed 72 pounds. It was really intense. Anybody that's you know has a loved one that is has made a transformation like that with some kind of sickness knows that um, there's an element of shock. And 
my parents, even though they were very well educated, decided that we would be best as a family if we helped Elizabeth. So she had to come. Instead of going to therapy. <laughs> Instead so of going to therapy. So you never went to a doctor? You never well, saw? Well, I did later on in life, obviously, but my, my no, mom... No, while you were there, in that time at all, they never said, let's go to a therapist, let's go to a doctor of no, any no. kind? She just had to come to the table wow. whenever we ate. And they, they thought that wow. was important. So Elizabeth came to the table when there was every meal. And Gosh, I don't remember this at all. I do. No, wait, wait. I have a question for you. Yeah. Mm. It seems kind of torturous for someone who's going through an illness where you can't eat to be sitting at a table and watch all the food. But for me, it was more about, it was much more about knowing that I was very different than other people, knowing that I had sexual feelings towards girls. And at the time, there was no, there was nobody out there that was a a role model. There were no lesbian role models. I mean, maybe like... Well, I'm kidding. Yeah, but um, I mean, there really weren't any. So I didn't, I thought all of my feelings were wrong. Or and even though we talked about Leslie's when we were little, and she's a Les, and that's a Les in a good way, and I have Leslie love for her. When it became real for me, I just couldn't deal with it at all. Did you act on it at all? When you were at kibbutz or anything? Um, were there I any did women? the first time. The thing for me is when I came home and I got off the plane, and the second time, and I was really ill, my mom picked me up in New York, and I said, Mom, this is the first thing I said. I said, Mom, I think I'm a lesbian. And she said, no, you're not. You're just hungry. (laughs) That's a t-shirt. That's a t-shirt right there. Um, So we went and got a tuna sandwich. And then she apparently, she called my father and said, it's a lot worse than we thought. And, and Amy too. But I did get better. And one thing that did help me get better besides Amy, who's never, never let me forget that yeah. She came down to save yeah. me. She's your Danny Kay in the oh, movie White is. Christmas. She, she, she is my Danny Kay. And anyway, <laughs> I never thought about it like that, but it's true. Mm-hmm. But she I should know. remember that. She <laughs> should remember that I gave up the bright lights of Broadway to come home and be in a band. You could have been the Patti Lapone of your time. I could have. Could have. Um, although... Yeah, or the Danny Kaye, and I appreciate you every day. And maybe that's where a lot of our our fights have stemmed from is the resentment that you hold for you giving up your life in the great Broadway for being in a band with me. You wouldn't be able to do these awful things to me if I weren't still in this chair. But you are, Blanche. You are in that chair. But the one thing that did make me feel better, besides going to Northern Virginia Community College, (laughs) was we started singing together. Amy and I, we we'd always grown up singing. We started singing together. And then we said, we're going to put a band together. And I thought it would be really cool since we knew somebody that was a drummer that we could maybe have a band together. Yeah, Maria was my best friend in high school when I went to Woodson High. And we just became really great friends because we were both sort of outsiders. I remember you saying that you and Maria would go to the jukebox, which who has a jukebox in the cafeteria? But you had a jukebox in your cafeteria and the two of you all were the dancers of your school. And you would put on a song and you all would just boogie down and everybody would sort of stand back and watch you in your knickers and your tam shanters <laughs> popping and locking. Popping and locking and everybody was like, wow, that's something. So I can imagine that when Amy was talking about the fact like, come on, let's put on a band that you all you saw yourself as the pop and locker and could actually do this well i wasn't popping and lock, locking because i don't think it was invented yet right oh, please of course it but, was well not in in northern virginia i don't think in the white people's <laughs> northern virginia anyway. you know but wait um, the thing about that was is maria had a dance partner michael and they did they went all over um the state and they danced and they won all these um awards and stuff like that they were she was a real dancer and I just I went along music heals I think that's the big I think that's I think the it big did thing, heal but, but more than anything that healed was I started making out with chicks okay and, and that's really what healed it and then I realized you know 
You realize, and that's what, you know, the real But thing I didn't is. realize I was a, a total les until after we had all met and I'd moved to D.C. So that's, that's another chapter. You know, it's funny that you said, Mom said to you, um, you're not a lesbian, you're just hungry. I remember when I told her that, Mom, I think I might be bisexual. She said, you're not bisexual, you're just sexual. That's really? funny. Yeah. But that's sort of really super progressive. It was very progressive. It took her a while to get there. But wow. Yeah. So while we're doing this in Virginia, you were working with Kathy at DuPont oh, Plaza, yeah. and she was a guitar player. Right. So we had a guitar player. We had a drummer. Mm-hmm. I basically played nothing. Amy played the cello. And so we started a band in my parents' basement, and we needed a bass player. So we put an ad on WHFS Radio, which at the time was a really cool radio station. Really cool. Sure was. WHFS. But I remember I came home from where I was going to college, and I'd been in a 50s band. Uh, I hadn't planned on being on a 50s band, but in my <laughs> acting, uh, the acting troupe that I was in, someone started a band called the Stilettos, and they needed backing singers. So um, my friend Laura said, come on, let's audition to be background singers. And, you know, anything for a good time. So I went <laughs> along. And once we were background singers and rehearsing, I remember one rehearsal, J.J. Uh, Shinnok didn't co- show up, but his bass was there. And we were doing the song um, uh, Peter Gunn. And they were like, oh, well, we can't practice it because he's not here. And I was like, well, how hard could it possibly be? I've always played guitar. So I picked up the bass, and as the minute I started playing it, I, something shifted in my life. And all of a sudden, I was like, this is how a person is supposed to feel. So I played my little Peter Gunn over and over again. And then we became this touring band. And we would go to Ocean City and play shows and play this 50s music. And, you know, 50s music right on and all. But after a while, you kind of <laughs> want more than three chords. And one day I came home from college, put on the radio, which I never really did. And just as I did, Weasel, who's a phenomenally gifted DJ, who everybody knew in the Washington, D.C. area at the time, said, hey, there's a band looking for a bass player, an all-girl band called Lickety Split. So out of nowhere, I thought, well, Lickety Split is the worst name I've ever heard, but it's an all-girl band. And, And he said something about it being punk rock. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I called. Allison called me at work. I was in my office because I was actually at 22 years old, the sales manager for this East Indian travel agency that specialized worldwide travel, worldwide travel that specialized in travel (laughs) to India. I was the only non-Indian person that worked there. And Lakshmi was my boss and he loved me with a with a love that dare not speak its name. Mm -hmm. Basically, would you, give, you, you you never did it with oh, him. Of course not. All no. Right. But he always told everybody that would come into the travel agency that I did. Ooh. And they would look at me kind of with a crazy mm, eye. Sexual and, harassment. Yeah. Even total, then. Even then. You, I mean, Especially I've, I then. The are you kidding? Anyway, Allison called me. I was in my office. And we talked for how long? A crazy long time. Yeah. And I'm extremely shy. And I do not talk to strangers for that long. And you were just so easy to talk to. Do we you we must have spoke for 45 minutes. I think if you're, sh- if you're, let's say, if not shy, let's say I'm an introvert extrovert. And I've been, I'm more extroverted now than I have been. But I'm still somewhat of an introvert. I don't spend 45 minutes talking to a complete stranger <laughs> in a punk band called Lickety Split. We talked. We talked and talked. Did and you laugh? We laughed. We talked. We we found out about each other. And then I was so excited when I got home, and I told Elizabeth about this girl that was going to come and audition for us. And I thought, oh my God, she's perfect because 
I think we were just instantly friends. Uh, you said, well, is she cool? That was the first thing that you asked. And I thought I, I thought so, but I don't know if I was particularly cool, but I thought it was a good gauge of character. Good. You were judgment. so uncool that you were cool. Yeah, always have been. Yeah. 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 So Al- Allison came over, and, and, and um, she came over to my parents' house. She so. got out of her car. But I drive up in my, my little, I think I had a Dodge Dart at the time. <laughs> I, it was either Dodge Dart or it was a little tiny this silver Chevette. This is Fairfax, Chevette. Virginia. In yeah. Fairfax, Virginia, on this back road. 1981. Prosperity yeah. Avenue. When I pull up, there are two girls playing Frisbee in the yard. One of them turned around and looked at me with such hatred, like, get, get on out of here. What are you doing here? <laughs> and I thought... Do I park or do I keep going? But the address is right, so I guess this that must wasn't be the us. place. No, that was, was the guitar player. That was the guitar player. Yeah. And oh, so shit. I pulled yeah. in. I she, pulled in anyway because that's what you know an African American person does. We just sort of have to swallow and keep on going a lot of times. And when I got out of the car, I looked over and there was this cool girl who was also playing frisbee with long hair, long wild hair, and then these two girls who must have been either sisters or twins at the front door y'all twin both said hi at the same time and i couldn't tell them apart but that was the beginning of everything and then Wait, so bricks and kathy were playing frisbee on the, mm, front lawn? the front lawn and i was confused because i don't even remember them being there allison is six foot two african-american probably one of the most astoundingly beautiful people that has ever walked this oh, planet Amy. but she didn't look true, anything though. like i had the picture in my mind mm. so it kind of freaked me out but at the other t- at the same moment i was also gleeful. gleeful and then my mom and dad who were in the house of course for our band auditions my mom came over to me after she met you and said that girl's got a lot of class. <laughs> and, well, anyway, so she came downstairs to the basement. Right. But I don't remember the other two being there. I'm sorry, you guys, but I just don't. Mm-hmm. Everybody was but there. But they left. They left. After, know, first but we did played, we play a song? Yes, you had, there were two songs that, that were played. And then um, you all said that it, things seemed like it was, it seemed like a pretty good audition. You weren't really sure, but I had to go and I had to come back. And when I came back the second time, I brought my friend Monique with me because I said, I think you should meet these people. I think they're, this is kind of cool. So when I came back from my callback, <laughs> that's when, that's when we sat around. We had a really good time. We, we talked a lot and had Manure some really good times. There? Monique was there the second time. And then when I came back for the third time, I literally never left because we stayed up all night long. And I mean, like late in the night coming up with band names, just the three of us, yeah. not with Kathy and not with um, Bricks at the time. All the flies in China. I really, I still think that's a great name for a yeah. band. Bless your heart. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we were laughing, 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 talking about all these band names. And then Amy and Elizabeth had decided that they were moving out because we were taking the band on the road and we were going for it. So without any like, hey, Allie, you're in the band at all. It just was assumed. Well, like was osmosis, assumed. I became part of the well, band. You laugh all night long with somebody, you know, here mm-hmm. in the band. But yeah. I also, the the moment I met you, I'd never had that feeling before where I, I had known somebody my whole life or in other lifetimes. I'd never, I'd never even opened that part of my spirituality or anything. I had no idea what that was about. But I instantly, I really did. I felt like I had known you my through eternities, mm. you know. And I've feels like it. <laughs> well, now we <laughs> for, have known each other. Well, 
I just remember telling Monique, my best friend at the time, that, my God, I met these two girls. They looked exactly the same. That's a weirdo. Isn't that funny? Same color hair, same everything. And I said, all I know is that one is really nice and one is really mean. That's all I remember. But I really want you to meet them because I think they're amazing. Who was the mean one? I don't know because you looked exactly the same. I'm usually the mean one at first, but then people realize that I'm the nice one. Isn't it funny? It's a conundrum. My dad would flick the lights on and off when it was time for everybody to go all right girls it's time it's enough and then we moved out that weekend we moved into 1010 14th street in southeast washington which at the time was a very heavy place it was right when crack had come right Mm -hmm. it's called both rock and crack but no matter what you call it it is nearly pure cocaine and it can kill it was the only place we could, it was, a, it was a full house with a basement that you could rehearse in for $500 a month. It was an interesting time. Well, I definitely remember that they were on the corner. Every time I drove up in my car, um, there were always the drug dealers mm-hmm. on the corner. And what was, killer. was cool, yeah, Killer and his friends, they would kind of keep an eye out on, on the car and make sure we were okay, which, you know, is a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was really an intense um, way to experience Washington, D.C., I'm sure, for you all, if coming from Virginia, it must have been quite a shock in a lot of ways. The thing about it was is that we didn't know this until we'd been living there a couple of months, but one of the women who, who lived in the projects right next door to us had told us that the, other, that, that the women of that, of that neighborhood were watching out for us. You know, they'd put out the thing because we played music and we were obviously... You know, not going to our straight jobs. Um, well, I was the on only the one that had a job, really. Yeah, you had a job, and we went out and, and ate chili con queso and drank. To, uh, I was bartending. I was bartending. I had a job too, but I certainly didn't have what you'd call a straight job. Yeah, but I, I really had some good times bartending, and with all the money, yes, we would go to Tucson Cantina every day mm-hmm. and eat um, chili con queso. And drink wild turkey. And you sold your blood, too. I remember that. No, I did not sell my Elizabeth, blood. No, no, we never sold Come our blood. Come on. You did, Elizabeth. No, That's no, like no. a story I never sold my that blood. you tell people. Are you sure about I, that? I, yeah, I swear. <laughs> that was a crazy time. Anyway, it, was a great it gave us time. a whole house. We had, and that's where we would rehearse. And when I think about it, too, because it was a, it was, what do you call it, one of those shared houses? Like, you were on one side, and then on the other side, someone else lived. Poo-poo. And what's really weird is, think, I mean, we full-on rehearsed there. I mean, like, as loud as we possibly could. And they never complained. They Not never only said, did they never care, but they would. the children would, like, come over. And it was, we were lucky that, yeah, all the kids were kind of in front of the house when we were They playing. wouldn't come inside. No, they wouldn't come no. inside, but they would be gathered together. And it was kind of a wonderful cultural thing that we could be in a situation like that because a lot of neighborhoods they would have kicked our asses out i remember as a white person i never i mean i felt as a woman i felt fear but you always feel fear as a woman in in cities especially i mean now too but as a white person i didn't feel i didn't feel like intense hatred towards me at all when we were there when yeah we were when i lived when i lived you know it's really interesting to look at it now retrospectively is that that was the first wave of gentrification because you were the first white people in that neighborhood. And you, now, that's what the neighborhood is. The neighborhood right. is all Capitol Hill. Isn't that interesting? But we didn't gentrify but once again, it. Well, what's interesting is that it's, it's the artists that come in. No, that's true. You know, who yeah. find, the, find cool places and like, can, can live with the neighborhood and, and follow the rules of the neighborhood and be part of the culture there. The artists do it first. Other people see that and say, oh, this is okay, and then come in with their suburban wagons. Well, the difference is we didn't that's buy true. the place. We couldn't. We weren't in that kind of position. We but, were just... but she's right about the fact that the artists do come in first. Right. 
and and work and live in the community with the community. I remember they gave Instead us a going away party. The, the whole the whole block gave us a going away party. It was pretty. It was pretty nice. I mean, people would invite I us to we parties. Did, we did the going away party. The GIs played there. John Stab and <laughs> and James Brown got thrown through the one of the walls. I remember that too. James Brown, that? the yoga guy. James Brown, the yoga guy oh, who li- so who now funny. lives in Stockholm. Who actually is the person that told me to do this podcast. Oh, we have them to thank. Yeah. He and Nancy Rose. Oh my God, I remember him going through the wall. And the GIs were a punk, punk, a hardcore band. Do you see hardcore band? That's, that was a cool part in D.C. because it was a real mixture of, if the underground was go-go, which was the black, mu- uh, the underground black music, and then you had hardcore which was the underground pretty, it was it was pretty white. And then you had like the new wave that was starting and we were sort of somewhere. Plus there was performance art going on. Mm-hmm. Poetry. Plus there was, and mm-hmm. there was. The whole um, black gay scene. Reggae and, was coming up. I mean, mm-hmm. it was Spoken definitely word. a time to be in DC because yeah, really all kinds of arts was happening. And there at 1010 14th Street, I remember on more than one occasion, people would be downstairs in our, <laughs> oh my God, that practice space with the with the carpet on the walls. Yikes. But uh, we would be downstairs practicing and different people would come by. Uh, do you remember Tiny Desk Unit? Susan mm-hmm. Mumford from Tiny Desk Unit was there. I don't there. remember she came yeah. by. I mean, like all kinds of people A lot of people, of people came there. by to jam. Um, I don't remember. She, What's her name? The girl with the dark hair. Yugoslavia. And? So, no, Sally, Sally Venueberg definitely came by. She was mm-hmm. in REM that changed its name to Yugoslavia. Amy Tracht came by, who was with, with the her pinups. Echoplex, and I remember that. Oh, yeah, with the pinups. She dark was there hair. for a while. But all ki- there were all kinds of people would come by, and it was really fun. And you all went through some dates. Man, you went through a dating period when you were living at 1010 14th Street, both of you. I remember I don't, that. Oh, I just went through guys over and over. Me too. Okay, well, you can call it what you want to, but it was still dating. You would go out with all these different people. I had a boyfriend for a while who was a Coke dealer. You had a number of them. That was your recall. Coke years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You looked fantastic, though. So thin. Yeah. Don't do Coke, kids. Don't. It's a bad thing. But, um, yeah, it's well, as bad as the 80s. Think. It was crazy. And I was. I always wondered. It was so strange because he was, he was like a turf. It was kind of a turf war. He was a big Coke dealer. And I remember he always did so much coke and wanted me to do it and then we when we would try to have sex I wondered why I didn't feel anything and <laughs> just wasn't great and then Numb I remember from the top of your head to yeah the completely of your and then finally one day he was out of his stash or whatever he had to go down to Florida and get the rest of it and we had sex and I thought oh my god I wonder if this is what it's supposed to feel like I mean this feels pretty good it's kind of <laughs> great as a matter of fact when you're not completely novocained out and then he was like ah man I am just not feeling it sorry babe stopped halfway through i thought yeah something's this isn't wrong. gonna work yeah this isn't gonna work but he dug me he always told me he dug me <laughs> did i we, dig you babe we practice really dig you <laughs> we, so we dig him pra- yeah yeah oh dig him we, we practice he always he wore a little um he was headband. a coke dealer big what? time oh what? Huge he had to go underground for a while that's yeah. right well you should be careful what you're saying on this thing just in case he still is this Wait is a, this is like 700 years ago and also we're not saying his real name because you went out with another ben Coke dealer, Dover. too. I did, I think but I didn't it. really. I was just his mule. I didn't go out with him. I Julie was going out with him. Okay. Yeah. We've now officially started our band, and then we're looking for a name. True. So we would go down and practice, and we had, I think, about four songs we would play over and over and over and over again, mm-hmm. and be thrilled about them, and then play them over and over and over again, and it was Kathy, Maria, and the, the three of us.
And we needed to have a name for this band because we were going to go out and play in Washington, D.C. and set it on fire, but we needed a good name. So somebody thought it would be a good idea, and I don't remember who, if we all dropped acid and went, and went on the mall. Which, you know, the mall is the, the huge part of D.C. between the Capitol mm-hmm. and the monument. A lot of people don't know that. Oh, the and grassy agora. The grassy, <laughs> yeah. And then we would find our name. It was a bonding experience. So we did it. I'd, really I had never from... dropped acid before. And um, yeah, I wanted to jump out a window, and it's a- the Amy, worst thing ever. Amy should never, ever take any. I am any not drugs into like drugs that. at all. So the whole, that whole time that we're trying to find our name, Maria, who was Bricks at the time, was, trying to, was talking Amy down. And she was great at it. Yeah, she stopped me from running into the traffic. She, she wasn't on drugs, that's why. And right. all I wanted to do was take off my clothes. Yeah, and I had to stop you. And I remember saying to you, Elizabeth, you cannot take your clothes off because you stood there. Kathy was doing cartwheels and cartwheels and cartwheels down the mall and back and forth. And Elizabeth saw that and was so excited and jumped up. I thought you were going to do cartwheels, but instead you started taking your clothes off. And I said, Elizabeth, you can't take off your clothes. And you looked at me with your eyes spinning in pinwheels and said, but why? And it really (laughs) didn't make any sense to me, but I knew that it was a rule and I knew that you couldn't do it. And Mm. so that stopped you. That's always my go-to is taking my clothes off. I I mean, not so much anymore. Um, because the big reveal isn't quite what it used to be. But um, <laughs> but then we came back to the practice space, and we played this, Allison played the same One bass line. It was just a bass line. Nobody else was playing anything. And over and over again for hours. Which is my go-to. That's what I love over doing. Over and over and over again for hours, all through the night. And it was called Sunday. Sunday's and then you trip. all started singing. Dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. Oh, so like, yeah. Mommy. Allison, this is Girl Band Podcast was recorded at Elizabeth's apartment studio in the East Village in New York City, traffic included. Produced by Elizabeth Ziff. Music clips and other credits. Gloria Steinem intro. Chain reaction by Betty from the album Hello Betty. Ups and downs by Betty from the soundtrack Betty Rules. Space Age Solstice by Betty from the album Snowbiz. Fierce, feminist and in your face. Betty from a rally of March for Women's Lives, 1992 in D.C. Mayim Mayim by Martha Schlemme, Mort Freeman, and the Israeli Folk Dance Orchestra. Hatikva Tikvateno on Folkways Records. Fed Up by Betty Unreleased. Clip of the 1962 Warner Brothers film Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Weasel announcing call letters for WHFS. Dueling banjos by KMC Orchestra. Infinity by Betty from the HBO TV series Encyclopedia. Pump Me Up by Trouble Funk. Hey Ronnie by Government Issue. SD by Quiver Unreleased. Sunday's Trip Recorded at 1010 14th Street Basement, Practice Space, 
1981 from Alison Palmer's collection. <laughs> 